Turner. My name is William. Billy to my friends. Pleased to meet you. And indeed, welcome to Catanese. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We have a bizarre little film for you here today. That is one of our focuses when we've done the rundowns before, is that uh, we look at some bizarre films, and this one certainly qualifies. We're going to be looking at Sir Billy, also known as Guardian of the Highlands, and it is from 2012, and it is Sir Sean Connery's final film role. You may have thought his final film role was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or you may have thought it was something from the 90s or the 2000s, but you would be incorrect. It is Sir Billy, and we're going to dig into the reasons for why he might have been in this film, what the results of this film were, why anyone would ever want to watch this film willingly for something that wasn't a podcast, all kinds of things. So we're going to be looking at all of that, but also uh, I want to note how a few episodes back, I did something I referred to as a pre-make when we looked at Secret of the Incas, which was a very early, uh, like very in, a very early influence on the Indiana Jones series, and parts of it were pulled directly for the entirety of the series. And so I'll occasionally be peppering in pre-makes, um, but another kind of mini-series that I want to do occasionally is something that I am calling Questionable Final Roles. And that is where we will look at some famous celebrity, some famous actor or actress, and look at the final film that they did, as long as that final film is something bizarre or super bad or presumably bad, just something where it's like, wait a second, this is the one that they go out on? So we are kicking that off with Sir Billy, and uh, the front half of the episode will be chronicling Sir Billy, and then we'll be doing something a little bit different in the back half of the episode. So we'll talk about that once we get to that point. I will address some of the key information on Sir Billy here in a moment, but first let's introduce our panel. We have joining us here, who's been on a variety of our episodes, we have Eric. Hello. And we also have coming back Ryan, who's been on a few of our episodes, particularly some of our episodes that focus on, like, particularly bad films. Hello. Hey, boys. Good to have you aboard. And we will dig into Sir Billy here in a moment. Uh, a few key things I can throw out there is that, like I said, it's Sean Connery's final film role. He was also an executive producer, so uh, you can blame a lot of this on him. Uh, although that probably was honorary, I'm guessing they gave him that credit or it was probably part of his, uh, you know, the deal that he signed or something. But he was listed as an executive producer. It is directed by Sasha Hartman and written by Tessa Hartman. And that is a husband and wife team who I don't think have really done anything else. And it's based on the book Sir Billy the Vet, which the wife wrote. And... It is, the other notable thing about this movie is that it is Scotland's first CGI animated film. And let's see what else we got here. It cost $15 million and it made $15,000. Just over $15,000. I don't know. I'd have to like look up and see about like biggest flops uh comparison because i remember adventures uh, of pluto nash was one of the biggest drop-offs for how much it cost because it was like over 100 million 
and it made like a million or two million or something like that. So there's there's some calculation out there for biggest cost to uh, profit like failures. Sir Billy has got to be on that list if it's fifteen million and it made fifteen thousand. If that's correct, but that's that's what Wiki says. It also has a Rotten Tomatoes rating of a cool zero percent. So that's uh, that's what we're getting into on this. And then, yeah, Sean Connery stars as Sir Billy, and the only other person of note that at least that I recognize in the voice cast, because like I said, this is an animated film, is Alan Cumming plays Gordon the Goat, and uh, everybody else are people that I I don't particularly recognize i think they're scottish and or british actors filling those roles so um yeah i'd say that's some key information to kick off with sir billy and then we can open the floor what do we make of sir billy it's, it's bad earlier ryan said that it sucked and i thought you know yeah. I don't want to say that because that's kind of mean. And, you know, this is a small movie that from a small country that probably doesn't make a lot of movies. And it's one I want to root for because it's like an underdog. But it's, it's yeah, it sucks. It's really bad. And there's just nothing. <laughs> I, I think the best part of the movie, because I was approaching it like I, I didn't watch a trailer or anything. I saw the picture when I typed it in and saw what the animation looked like. And it's like, wow, that looks really cheap. And I thought, but maybe, you know, good movies can shine through their cheap quality, like, as with live action, so maybe that can happen here. Um, I think the first thing we get is, like, this weird uh, James Bond-esque musical intro. Which, which they actually got Shirley Bassey to do the <laughs> intro song for, if you're unaware. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you're unaware, Shirley Bassey was one of the notable James Bond singers. that She did mm-hmm. the theme to Goldfinger. She did Diamonds Are Forever, and she did several others. I think she, I think she recorded a song for Skyfall or one of the other more recent ones. I mean, they obviously, you know, they didn't use it. I've heard it; it's actually pretty good. I, I, I don't think it was Skyfall. It might have been the one before Skyfall or the one after, but uh, but they considered using a song by her, and she's in her like late 70s now or something but she mm-hmm. i think she did maybe moonraker but definitely diamonds are forever definitely did goldfinger and she, so she's a fixture of the james bond world and yeah. she's got she's a great vocalist and yeah they got her to record this stupid intro song for <laughs> sir billy but i just want to throw out that yeah. little bit of trivia but yeah go ahead eric well i had yeah, makes uh makes it even worse that a second qualified person was roped into this, not just Sean Connery. Um, so yeah, that intro happens and I'm just kind of like, okay, um, you know, whatever. And then, and then we get this like, uh, voiceover by Sean Connery where they're kind of going over like the, the highlands of Scotland at night. It actually looks pretty nice. And I don't remember what he's saying, but it sounds cool because he's saying it. And I'm thinking, oh, this is not too bad. And then the rest of the movie happens, and I'm like, oh, it's about as good as it got. Um, I An establishing I it shot to... is what you're saying. Your, your favorite part of the movie was an establishing shot. Establishing that they were indeed in Scotland, um, which I knew going in. Um, yeah, the whole thing I just likened to both in quality of animation and plot, was it seemed just like an episode of a kids TV show. 
because the movie, if you take out the two intros, is barely more than an hour long. Yeah, it's like, like with the ending uh, credits and well, yeah. If you take out the credits, it's seventy minutes. It's like eighty minutes total. The ten minutes are credits, so it's seventy minutes without the credits. Although I will state that it feels longer than The Irishman. <laughs> like it's just painful, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I you know I'd never seen this. Uh, I knew of it, but yeah, I'm just like. I'm just suffering through it and like, all right, I'm going to write this note down about it or whatever. But then there'll just be like seven minute stretches where it's like, nothing's funny here. Nothing's relevant to talk about. It's just bad. Yeah. And then, you know, of course they kind of tease a spy motif because they, they, the intro song. And then there's a couple other moments I think where they, you know, just cause Sean Connery is in it, they kind of like make kind of references to a James Bond type movie, but, you know, the plot has nothing to do with a spy movie and the plot is so thin and they managed to stretch it out for an hour. Like almost nothing happens. And there's not even a whole lot of character development. So So by the end, it's your total assessment is it's bad. It sucks. It's, it's very bad. There's not a lot of redeeming (laughs) qualities. I don't even remember a single like joke that didn't fall flat because Um, they all hit. (laughs) There were jokes, attempted jokes, I guess. Um, there. I think there was one part where I laughed at something Sean Connery said, just because of the the way he said it. But there's a part. There's a point where he's he's confronting. So the the villain of the piece is well, let's a let's hold back because I, but... I I, I want to get okay. I want to get Ryan uh, where he landed, and I might make a couple comments. But yeah, then we'll definitely dig heavy into the plot and character of Sir Billy. Ryan, what do you got? It stinks. Um, it was just uncomfortable. I watched it at 1.5 speed to make it go by faster. I started at one (laughs) and it really one, two, five. And then halfway through, okay, one, five. I think I get the picture of what we're just gonna. (laughs) And it still seemed to slog. It was just so damn ugly. They look like mutant who's. Uh, I had a very similar note. Yeah, a lot of the characters, uh, the animation is hideous. If you're unaware of Sir Billy, you can easily find a trailer on YouTube. I learned about this movie, I think, you know, I'll go on Wikipedia pages, filmographies for actors, and I probably was on there looking up something for Sean Connery once, checking something, and then I must have seen... Sir Billy, what's this? Like, I'm pretty sure that's how I would have discovered it because I don't think I ever like found out about it outside in like from some other medium. Um, so yeah, that's probably how I came across it. And then yeah, you can you can find the trailers for it out there. But yeah, the animation just is terrible across the board. But I did have that note as well that they look like off-model Whoville residents. Like, <laughs> and if you're unaware, off-model is like in an animation term for when characters don't look right. Like they fucked up the animation and there's stuff on the Simpsons that float around the internet where occasion like uh, a frame or two will get messed up and Bart's face will be like turned the wrong way and his mouth will be in the wrong direction and stuff. So that's usually referred to as off model where, where they're not looking the way the characters are supposed to be drawn. And that's kind of what this whole movie looks like. It's just, really ugly from start to finish. I mean, think obviously Pixar is the gold standard, but think of whatever bad children's CGI thing you can imagine, whatever 
junk that DreamWorks or some other studio is putting out. And I know not all DreamWorks stuff is bad, but you know, whatever other animated stuff that's put out there and you like saw it and you're like, oh man, that's really making me miss Pixar. Whatever you're thinking of, whatever's in your head for like, oh, that's my low bar for bad animated films. This one's in the sub basement. I mean, this one goes way, way deeper. I mean, and as I said, this is, you know, Scotland's first CGI animated film. So you can't, I mean, you, so you can't like totally say like, oh, it should be amazing. But that said, Toy Story was the first CGI animated film, like full length ever. And Toy Story still looks good. And Toy Story 25 years ago looks better than this movie does from 2012. Like Toy Story, if you revisit it, it's, you know, obviously the animation is not to the level that Pixar is now. But Toy Story still like looks very good and works within the world of toys. And like, it's still pretty. But yeah, it's 1995 well surpassing in terms of the animation quality in terms of the way the characters are designed everything story everything humor toy story 1995 compared to 2012 sir billy no contest eric yeah yeah i was gonna say this looks like what pixar was doing in like 1988 like like that hideous little snowman cartoon (laughs) yeah like this was like the the pinnacle of what computers could would be capable of um, is what they were working with. Um, like the Dire Straits music video looks better. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... This movie made me think less of Scotland. <laughs> well, if we have any it Scottish also is, it's listeners, that you, yeah. um, uh, I apologize, but also you should apologize to us for Sir Billy. You subjected <laughs> us to this. Yeah. Um, when you said that that Sean Connery was an executive producer, I mean that usually implies that they they put some money into it. And I think like if he actually was, he probably could have given them more money to do yeah, better animation. See, I think. Okay, so before we dive into stuff on that, yeah, that's a good. Let's raise this question: Why is Sean Connery in this movie? Because we have Sean Connery. I mean, I have some theories, but we have Sean Connery is obviously this huge film star and was for decades. He does leave Extraordinary Gentleman, and he ends up basically having, like, on-set fights with the director. And he ends, and, and the movie gets, like, critically panned. I would say that League of Extraordinary Gen- Gentlemen is a much better film than Sir Billy. I don't think it's a horrible <laughs> movie. I, I always felt, found it was, like, it's just a disappointing movie. Because the mm-hmm. Alan Moore comics are great. Um, but that's neither here nor there. But... So he he does that, and I think like 2005, he retires very shortly after it. He basically is like, I'm done with this. They tried to get him back for Crystal Skull for like a small part, and he considered it, but he was already retired, and he said like, oh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to do it. So he stayed retired for the rest of his life. He would go to like Wimbledon and stuff and go golfing and I think he was part of some documentary is his only other credit, but yeah, he comes back for Sir Billy. And as I understand it, it was originally like a shorter film, like maybe like half an hour. And then I think they expanded it into, cause there's like footage of Sean Connery talking about this in 2006 and like being interviewed. So I think it was like a half hour then. And then I, and I read that it was like, I had a very delayed long production schedule. I think they probably kept bringing him back. 
So they might have just kept padding the time to get it up to feature length. I don't know. But yeah, so he comes back for this. That's my thinking. So he comes back for this movie. He doesn't come back for anything else. I'm sure he got offers. I'm sure if he called somebody up, he could have gotten or he could have said, you know, get me the top 10 directors working right now and tell them I'm interested in a small role. And most directors would be like, I'll figure it out. I'll put you in something. <laughs> Like, like, you know, obviously he's not going to be like a star at 85, but he could play those Michael Caine roles. And so he doesn't do any of that, but he comes back for this movie. Why does he do this? I have some theories, but why does he do this? Well, I remember you saying something about um, Linton, um, that he, you know, loves Scotland and anything that has to do with Scotland, he'd be more likely to do. Um, but then I... My thing that was with this had something to do with Scottish like mythology, but it's just a random like kind of like mm-hmm. children's talking animals story. So it's not really anything that really like puts Scotland on a pedestal or anything. Also, I suspect that they might have just let him record the audio in his house. You know, like <laughs> it sounds it sounded like so it. bad that I was just like, maybe he's just like in a in his living room doing just reading these lines, and they're just like. Yeah, it's good enough. You can do that as long as you <laughs> agree to be in this movie. I did read it, read that the way they were able to contact him is that the, I think the director team or the you know husband wife writer director team, I think they knew like a businessman, someone who was friends with Connery, and they got him to approach Connery to be in it. It's like, all right, well that that, that explains how you get your foot in the door. But that doesn't explain why Sean Connery says yes. Because I'm yeah. sure tons of people, I mean, people in the industry, like, you know, Steven Spielberg wanted him for Crystal Skull. And like, so he knew Sean Connery yeah. and had worked with Sean Connery and he's a major film director. So why does Sean Connery say yes to these people? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just it's easier to do animation and maybe no one had like approached him about doing an animated film. And that's something that, you know, he was promised he could do very easily I, yeah I, I don't know yeah maybe maybe production was difficult and he had a hard time just doing a voice but so my, 25 million dollars i don't i well it only cost 15 so they couldn't have oh like, i said 50 no 15 million five million dollars i mean it's possible it's possible he got a decent salary i did see though i saw in that interview he talked about disney tried to court him back in the day for a role and they, he said that they basically offered him a pittance. And he said, because it was for the children, like that they were basically trying to like, oh, you know, you don't need to, we don't need to give you the real money for this. And he was like, hey, yeah. it all spends the same. Like, I mean, he's right. He's like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to make millions off this. So why would I just not? And I mean, I think they, they yeah. think they've changed their tune in more recent stuff. But I wondered, I was like, was he, because he said it went on to make $200 million. And I was like, okay, did they offer him King Triton and the Little Mermaid? Because that would have made sense because he, you know, that's a, that makes sense for the role. But I looked it up. I guess he was offered Mufasa in The Lion King. There oh. were, it's like Timothy Dalton and Liam Neeson were considered and Sean Connery was offered and he turned it down. And then they eventually went with James Earl Jones. So it could have been Sean Connery as Mufasa up there. But, uh, but yeah, so I guess he had been offered that, maybe something else along the lines with Disney. And, you know, so he doesn't do any of that. He ends up going with this. My thinking is, but he says it was a pittance. 
this movie cost 15 million. They may, maybe they gave him a couple million or something, but I don't know. Like I'm guessing he didn't get a huge payday for this. My theory is because it's a Scottish movie, because it's a movie that takes place in Scotland. Um, I'm not, I don't know if the people are Scottish, but I think they are the husband and wife team. I did read that supposedly they are like Scottish nationalists. Like they believe in separating Scotland from, uh, you know, uh, the UK and Connery has been a proponent of that. Um, so it's possible that played a role in it. I also think that because it's the first Scottish CGI animated film, there's that like notable aspect of like, he's doing something for the country. Like, because he's like, he's the most famous Scotsman who's ever become an actor. And then he's in this film. So like that, it could help the Scottish, you know, film industry. That's my guess is that he thought he could throw his clout behind it to try to do something positive for Scotland. Maybe they guaranteed him that this would get Scotland kicked out of the <laughs> British Union. And he's like, well, <laughs> if they'll get it done. So, Are you sure he's the most popular Scotsman? Uh, well, I was saying like most famous like Scottish film star, I think. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Scrooge yeah. McDuck. Yeah. Um, uh, well, Ryan, that's uh... a... <laughs> One thing isn't Scrooge McDuck Irish because it's McDuck, no. not MacDuck. No, he's Scottish. Are you sure? Do some research on that. Okay. I thought Flintheart Glomgold was the one who was Scottish. No, it's Scottish accent. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, all that aside, uh, I, I can't see what you're holding up. Just tell me if you've researched this and said that he's Scottish. Okay. Says he has a Scottish accent. All right. All right. I see that. Thanks, Google. <laughs> All right. So anyway, um, so yeah, so that's some of the background of Connery coming to this film. Uh, I guess I said, I guess I do have like one other little bit before we launch into the plot. Um, so this, I think, was in an old Entertainment Weekly back from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out. And because I used to get it for free or something at the time. And I, this is just from my memory. So if somebody looks up the quote, I could have it slightly off. I could be wrong. And I'm going to do this in my best or worst Sean Connery impression. So forgive me. But this always stuck with me when Sean uh, Connery was in League because he said something to the effect of, I got off of the Lord of the Rings and I turned it down because I didn't understand it. I got off of the Matrix twice and I turned it down because I didn't understand it. I don't understand this movie, but I'll be goddamned if I'm going to turn it down. <laughs> so that's what he said about League because he had seen these like massively successful films that he didn't want to do, which has always struck me odd because like the Matrix I get. I can understand a 70 something year old man being pitched the matrix and being like, I, I yeah. don't know, bullet time. What is this? And I'm, I'm guessing he was probably offered Morpheus. Cause I think a lot of people were offered Morpheus. And then the second time, <laughs> yeah, the second time, my guess is they probably offered him the, uh, 
the architect character because it's a white mm. old white man with oh, a yeah. beard it's like that had to have been written for yeah. sean connery so he uh he turns it down and i get that i understand him being reticent about that role I have never understood why he turned down the Lord of the Rings, though, because it's a massively famous book series, especially in the UK. Like, it only got famous in the United States kind of through nerds in the 70s, but it's, like, yeah. been famous in the UK since its publishing. Connery would have, yeah, even though was... Connery, I'm sure, is not, like, reading nerd literature, he had to have been aware of it. And then, and, and what's not to get about it? It's like, oh, well, you'll play, because I'm pretty sure he was offered Gandalf. And it'd be like, oh, he was, oh, you'll yeah. play this, you know, wise old wizard who's very powerful and he's helping our heroes. Like, what's hard to figure, get your head? Like Highland. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think Sean Connery is um, illiterate? <laughs> wow. Was illiterate. Ryan, you are. I turn every script down because I don't understand it. I can't read and no one seems to know. There's a bunch of damn shimbles all over the pages. What the hell is this? Every, every movie ever has just been improv by Sean Connery. I mean, you know, he's very talented then. Yeah. But yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going off the rails here a little bit. But yeah, I've, I've never understood. Uh, I get the Matrix. I've never understood how he couldn't wrap his head around the Lord of the Rings. But the reason I bring up this quote is that he said that about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And League also is not really a hard movie to wrap your head around. It's like, oh, it's all these characters from fiction and they're on a team fighting. That's not too hard to sort out, but okay. <laughs> so he ended up doing it and then it didn't succeed. But he says that about all those films and then he goes and makes Sir Billy. So how did you understand this movie? Because I don't think any of us understood this movie in the sense of what was happening what the characters are trying to do, what the stakes are. It's just, it's a lot of garbage. So let's uh, let's open the floor and let's start talking plot and specifics for Sir Billy. Um, so yeah, the plot basically uh, is at some point they, beavers are illegal in Scotland. They got to send them back to Norway or something, I believe. They have a whole scene where these two police officers are putting beavers in cages into a truck and the guy's going to drive his truck off and he's like, ah, it's the last of them. Good, you know, good riddance to these beavers. And, you know, the truck crashes and the beavers escape and then it says, on the screen it says, five years later. And it, it gives you the information. <laughs> it's like, like beavers, and it's, Right. And... Nothing changed. But like that, the little cr crawl that it gives you of the information of what's going on kind of like makes the previous scene not really needed so i'm maybe maybe they just added that in to to get time um i guess it also establishes the villain but he's not really i mean he's kind of around the whole time but he doesn't really do much and then it's established that this this one surviving beaver uh, is found by rabbits and raised by rabbits and then we go over to uh sir billy who's just uh he's a vet or a retired vet living in this small village in Scotland, and it, it follows him for a bit, and it goes back to showing the beaver growing up with the rabbits, and that they're doing like this race, and then you think like, oh, they're just showing like what's going on with this with this beaver and how they how it grew up, but then it, it, from that it just launches right into basically what the plot is because the beaver like falls into the river, 
a couple couple beavers do, and the rest of the plot is trying to rescue the beaver from the river. Because beavers That's are the... notoriously poor swimmers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, like a, a couple of the rabbits fall in, the beaver goes in after them, uh, and then the, and then word gets to Sir Billy, and then he brings the town together to rescue them. And and at that time, the the cop finds out, and he's trying to get the beaver they're too. All, and like they're, the, they're going a dam. through like a committee, like a town committee, <laughs> while like these animals are drowning. <laughs> Timer's they're basically the saying we have to we have to get them before they hit the dam because there's turbines and the whole time they're going down this river and it's like well this town's not very big so wherever this dam is it's not far <laughs> and he's sitting there like just kind of telling people what to do and they all they all split off and do their thing and it's it's just terrible after that and and in terms of character like the first thing we get. You know, Sir Billy's driving around with his goat friend, um, and they go to the house where there's this kid who's established as his son. Grandson. Oh, they, grandson. Oh, is yeah. It? Okay. Yeah. What they just it? call him Papa he for call, some Okay. All right. So that's his grandson. So Sir Billy is a widower, and he has a daughter. Okay. This whole time, I thought that lady was. Oh, his they ex-wife they glossed they, they glossed over stuff hard, but yeah. So they never they never told me exactly what their relationship was, but he kept call, I thought he kept calling him dad, and he kept calling him son, and that was and I was like, all right. But the first thing we see of this kid is he's like up in his room, and he's got this Rube Goldberg machine that gets him to open this like chute, and he slides down to breakfast, and it's like. It's like, oh, this kid's like a you know engineering nerd, but then like he never does anything like that the rest of the movie. Um, I don't think I don't. He does a backflip. Okay, but he does. <laughs> Not he doesn't use that ingenuity to try to we, help we have the to beaver. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, Sean! Sean did want a uh, a big juicy kiss from him. <laughs> yes, I didn't remember that line. A big juicy kiss. <laughs> um, and then. Uh, there, there's this woman he meets briefly who's like the sister, a visiting sister of someone who lives in town and I, and she, I guess, is the, the love interest, although again, it's kind of just understood that that is, but the two of them never have a <laughs> they, conversation. They do. The movie they do. They, they have oh, a they conversation do? when he's outside the car and that's when the goat is talking about how he's like, the old guy's still got it. But yeah, but, but they have oh, one okay. thing. And then the characters are like never interact again until the very end. Yeah, yeah. And then she... it's weird because like at, at at the point where he's telling the whole townspeople what to do to rescue this beaver, he's like splitting everyone off in teams, and he doesn't take the girl to be on his team. He's like, <laughs> like why not? Like, oh, you come with me, and that's how their romance will bloom. But that just yeah. you know doesn't happen. And then. Yeah, long, like, short, long story short. <laughs> uh, they basically rescue the beaver while the cop comes in at some point and tries to get him. There's some... The co- the, Don't forget the about the Russians. Is, oh, yeah, the, the Russians. The hell-bent oh, on removing the beaver. The stinky beaver. Yeah, they, they that's one thing. They keep saying this cop probably six or seven times talks about stinky or smelly beavers. And I refuse to believe that that was accidental by the writers. Like, I refuse to believe that that was not a joke where they were thinking, ah, the adults will love this. Like, it's just, you wouldn't, there's no way. There's no way. I mean, unless just being Scottish 
maybe like that's just you know the way like fanny means different things in the united states versus in the uk and that kind of thing maybe it's something where that connection beaver is not anything that's ever crossed over but i find it really hard to believe especially considering the massive heaving cgi breasts <laughs> that are abound in this movie oh yes yeah. and the race car with the 69 number on it <laughs> oh i didn't notice that yes there are there are okay. tits everywhere in this children's film <laughs> virtually vir- oh yeah too. virtually every female character in this movie not all of them but virtually all of them well they all have like very disproportionate breasts and then they're like at least half are just pouring out of their shirts with cleavage and uh you know this is a this is a really like low bar children's film this is not i mean this is not sausage party this is not trying to be adult or anything <laughs> like that this is like as you know bottom of the barrel kid stuff presumably kid stuff as it gets but yeah, then it's just kind of all over the place. So yeah, there's just like parts where I, I don't think like you could watch this and think, oh, this is just wildly inappropriate. But you also wouldn't sit there and watch it and think like, well, oh, this is totally inappropriate. This is totally appropriate. Like there's no way. <laughs> yeah. And there's one point at the end of the movie, the the uh, Sir Billy's daughter is pointing out, she's talking about the love interest of, yes. of Sir Billy saying like, you know, she's this and this. Oh, and she has breasts to envy, you know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we know. We, we've, <laughs> like, we've been here the whole time. Someone finally, like, points it out. And then she's like, I guess she's not from around here, though. I guess they don't make them like that around here. And I'm like, have you seen every other woman in this town? <laughs> her, her it's sister, only you that don't have the giant breasts. sister does. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Immediately cuts away to two other women who have giant breasts. <laughs> and this woman's like, but yeah, you're the only one but that does Yes, yeah, Sir Billy's daughter comments on his father's love interest breasts when Sir Billy's presented as like a 75-year-old man and the woman is probably at oldest 40. And so she's like, you know, jealous of the breasts of the woman who's going to go sleep with her father. And and Sir Billy, like his character, you know, he's like the old balding on top glasses, but He's got white hair that kind of goes down to his shoulders. And I'm picturing that in real life. Yeah. Right. Like, if you picture that kind of hair in real life of, like, you're only balding on the top, so you got the hair on the bottom, but he lets it go, like, down his neck. Like, it's it's going down pretty far, and, like, that in real life would look really (laughs) creepy. So this guy is not... (laughs) I mean, I know it's Sean Connery, but the... Look like a roadie for Pantera. (laughs) (laughs) and the goat wears a bruce lee jumpsuit or a bride jumpsuit from kill bill yeah there's a lot of weird Mm. movie references in here i mean a lot of animated stuff will have random movie references and stuff that adults will get and kids won't i mean the pixar stuff will reference movies they get put a lot of shining references in certain ones so like i initially thought that like oh this is really dumb and then i remembered well good ones do it too but then I remembered, yeah, but good ones do it better. And good ones, it's not like <laughs> in your face and like, hey, remember this? Like there's like a singing in the rain bit. There's this whole montage where they're like showing clips from other movies and none of it's funny, but it's. I laughed once. Well, I'm sorry, Ryan. <laughs> well, it was funny because the goat is doing the the cabaret play. 
And Alan Cumming was the first MC. From okay, Broadway. see, I, I was—I didn't know if he was—I didn't think it was Cabaret. I thought he was doing like a Bob Fosse. He looked like he was, which I think Bob Fosse might have worked on Cabaret, but he did okay. the movie. But he but I thought movie. like the imagery they were using was like Bob Fosse, like something specific of like one of his shows, something with a top hat. But I could be wrong. It wasn't even like the MC role. It was it was Sally's part, so it was mm-hmm. weird. Casablanca. Yeah. yeah. Because the goat almost dies for literally no reason. Because he's it is dead at one point, and they need like uh, you know they need some emotion in this movie. Doesn't have a pulse, but if I give it this magic <laughs> water, he calls it. Was it was the water Peasmont? Well, I don't know what he calls it. He uses it earlier as like a a, a painkiller. Yeah. when he's helping the rat, but then he's like, I guess it also oh. heals because he's like, oh, I need this water to <laughs> help this. Goat survive. I've seen spinal. <laughs> seen like, I, thought, I thought it was just morphine. Okay, so the the rabbit scene is one of my absolute favorites. So <laughs> the sad thing about this movie, we talked about how long it feels, and we've watched our fair share of bad movies, and I'm sure any listeners have as well. And there are bad movies that are like really fun and have tons of crazy stuff. If you've been listening to our show, Eric was on the episode for Elves. And there was just like hit after hit in elves of just crazy yeah. turns. <laughs> this movie is mostly just like bad and disjointed and boring. So it doesn't have those great nuggets of like where your jaws on the floor and like you're, you know, in the producers watching springtime for Hitler kind of thing. Like it doesn't have a lot of those. It has a handful. <laughs> but one of my absolute favorites. And I say this knowing that like Pixar has pushed the envelope like with Soul and Inside Out and Toy Story 3 and all these other movies up where they'll do really dark stuff and they'll have characters who are dying or facing death or facing terrible life circumstances, all these kind of things. And they do it beautifully and we praise them for it and they absolutely deserve all that praise. So I would not say you can't do this in animation. I would not say that you can't do it and have it succeed. But that said, it's a very delicate balance. It's more difficult to do an animation than in uh, live action, I would say, especially since in most animated things you are gearing toward mostly a children audience. But there's this moment that goes heavy into this like heartstring soul searching thing. And so these rabbits get kind of like knocked around in the current and this like mother rabbit gets like thrown to these rocks. And this is what we were talking about earlier, where Sir Billy and his goat friend are like trying to find the rabbits and this beaver character. And they end up finding the mother rabbit and she's over on these rocks. And there's like this two minute scene where the goats talking to the, the mother rabbits, like mostly unconscious, but where the goat character is talking to Sir Billy and they're talking about like, her being paralyzed and they don't think she can move. And he's like, you got to do it. You got to do it for little bunny or whatever, like her daughter's name (laughs) is. Um, They're trying to get her to like, be able to move her legs. Um, But there's there's one line that I wrote down in particular where Sean Connery delivers it, you know, with like total gravity, which is there may be too much damage to spinal cord. Uh, and like, there's just like this moment of just like utter sadness of like this, this like rabbit character it just has a broken spine. And then it's like, oh no, we're going to give her some of this like wake up juice and she'll be okay. And then she's fine. And everything moves on. But yeah, it's like, 
it just shows how well Pixar does what it does because this was a moment that was really trying for that seriousness. And to me was like both equally funny and just like distasteful at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In terms of the villain of the piece, uh, the the, the cop character. uh, So basically you have that opening scene where he's like, establishing that's kind of his job or maybe it's his job maybe he just likes getting rid of beavers but he likes to uh, eat them he said yeah okay yeah he does mention likes to eat the stinky beavers. yeah he he goes on a a couple sentences describing how he eats the beavers um so he's he's real evil um and then so it's like five years have passed and then all the beavers are gone but there's just one left that you know escaped from this truck and it, and it goes, when it, when it goes back to him, it's like this exposition dump about what, why he's still around and looking for this beaver. And he's, and he's like, he's like talking to himself and he's like, oh, five years ago and there's, I could have been promoted by now, but I'm out here looking for this one lone beaver. And I remember thinking like, well, why are you doing <laughs> And then the next sentence he says, cause, cause he says like, oh, it's probably dead by now. And I'm like, so then why are you doing this? And he's like. And he says, like, and nobody cares but me. And I'm like, then, but still, why? Like, nothing explains why you have this motivation. Because your your, your job is suffering. You could have been promoted. And you're, and you're spending all this time doing this. And you're, at this point, pretty sure that the beaver's already dead. Because you clearly have no evidence that it's alive. And But he's just still out there looking for that one beaver. Well, in regards to that, so like, yeah, that's a a really bad scripting moment, but I would say it's followed by something even worse. So you have this uh, constable character or whatever he is. Do they ever establish exactly what, you know, or is he animal control or I I don't know what exactly he's supposed to be. No, I think he is like, I think they call him inspector and he says like, oh, I could have been inspector. Something to do with the police. But yeah, so you have him at like a police station or something outside in some courtyard talking about this. And, you know, it's five years later. The movie establishes that. There's no reason. It doesn't change anything that's five years later. It literally would make more sense if it had fit, had been the next day. Because the next yeah. day it would have been like, oh, I got to get this last one that got away or whatever. But, yeah, it's five years have passed. Um, but he's giving this little, like, monologue. And he's saying, like, oh, it's probably dead by now and I can't find this thing. And then, like, we pull back from the police station, like, 20 feet and that beaver that he can't find <laughs> is there with like his rabbit friend. And the beaver is overhearing the guy talk about it. And the rabbit's like, what, what is it? And you can tell that the beaver's like shaken. And we're supposed to get the idea of like, uh Oh, the beaver knows he's coming for him. And then it like cuts to another scene, but I'm sitting there like, so what the beaver's aware this guy exists. And he just like hangs out by the police station like for five years. Like, why isn't he just like off somewhere else? Like, it was such a moment of convenience where clearly they're writing the script and it's like, well, we need the beaver to hear this. So he needs to be there for no reason. We need to have him outside. So, but the beaver should be in the wind because the beaver knows it's a fugitive and his rabbit friends know he's a fugitive. Like, also, but, you know, if we're talking about animals. Um, so yeah, this movie has tons of talking animals in it. We have Sean Connery is the lead as Sir Billy. And then we have his daughter and his grandson. We have the sister characters. We have the police character that's chasing. There's a few other townspeople that pop in. 
but a large number of the characters are animal characters. There's the beaver. There's a couple rabbits. There's a what's the flying one? The stupid a, duck. Why does a duck need an airplane? Yeah. So there's a a duck in an airplane that like works into the plot somehow. And then there's a goat, and there might be a couple other things. But I had a lot of questions on the animals because <laughs> I'll, po- I'll pose them to you. But my two, the two primary questions are, why did the animals wear clothes? Because they all wear clothes. And the other one is, is this like a world where humans and intelligent animals coexist? Because the rules of this world do not seem clear to me. I don't know if you, yeah, what they're trying to do. That's because that's what I was thinking when he was talking to the goat, like it's his, <laughs> it's his sidekick. I was like, wait, do all the animals talk to the humans? Cause we hadn't seen, we'd seen the animals talk to each other before. And sure enough, when they, they come across, they almost hit another animal with their car. And that's what, springs everything in motion because that, that that animal alerts them to what's happening yeah they're just talking he's like oh mrs bunny what are you doing out in the middle of the road i almost hit you like and it's just like oh so everyone just talks to animals in this world yet you know like the, they decided that beavers are no longer allowed and that wasn't like open for discussion because the beavers can talk on their own behalf <laughs> and it seems like if animals could talk people the country wouldn't want the government to like do something like that so yeah i i mean you could go back to stuff like like looney tunes obviously has humans and animals interacting and being able to speak to each other but i guess those are like seven minute shorts and there's much more playfulness and bugs bunny being a rabbit is really only relevant as far as somebody wants to shoot him or somebody's plowing his house away or something and then it's just bugs bunny fucking with them for the rest of it but here you're trying to sustain you know an hour 10 minute movie and i just don't really get the logic of this world like what you know other other animated stuff will have animals in it like disney stuff like will have cutesy animals but usually those animals are like semi-intelligent like a boo and aladdin like he doesn't really Mm -hmm. talk he can understand commands and he can think most most of them don't cross that boundary and this one does it's just weird because it just creates this whole other kind of world and then the movie's failing at the simplest of tasks so it's like you would have to be doing you have to really know what you're doing to be able to pull this off in a way that kind of makes sense but they don't the the animals yeah they 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 act like humans basically because you said they they all wear clothes i think one of them just wearing like a miami dolphins you know like like jersey isn't it (laughs) Yeah, I, I maybe I swear I, it's the same color scheme and everything. It looks like a Miami Dolphins. Oh, yeah, I mean, jersey. you could be right. Um, yeah, they're they're all just wearing different clothes, and you know, the goat seems to be capable of doing anything a human can do. He seems to have a job. Well, like the goat's like, like a goat human hybrid monster. Like he's even <laughs> more Plus dog. Yeah, he's like farther than the yeah. rest of them. This duck is flying an airplane, even though a duck can fly on its own. But the goat still pisses in the floor. Yes. Uh-huh. While he talks to Uncle Billy. That's um, an out-of-nowhere moment but... where it's like, ah, pee! <laughs> Funny. So yeah, yeah, I don't understand the the relationship between animals and humans. 
what it's supposed to be in this movie. Because there's a cow at the beginning, and it's just a regular cow. It's not wearing clothes. It's on the treadmill. Oh, really? Is this like, like a first seat? Is, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, Billy like uh, transports it in some kind of gigantic Jacuzzi. thing. Um, yeah, is this like a goofy Pluto situation where only some of them are like sentient and like uh, normal members of society, and the rest of them are enslaved, or what's going on? <laughs> Food. I did see one theory. Oh. I was looking up some stuff to see if I because there's not a whole lot of information out there on Sir Billy. But I did see one theory that possibly all of the animals wear clothes so that the animators didn't have to fully animate fur on all of these creatures. And I was like, I could buy that. But then you're covering up their like chest and for a lot of them, their like legs. And so, yeah, I mean, if you just need have somebody wearing like pants and a shirt and you don't have to do anything that moves and it's like very simple and very flat. And then you just have to do like, oh, their little hands and their little heads are furry. I could believe that that might be the reasoning behind it. I also would think that if they didn't use clothes and use fur, they wouldn't bother trying to make the fur look like it was moving <laughs> in this movie. They just roll with it. Just be a big <laughs> be brown blob. Flat rectangles. <laughs> yeah, just like not doing anything when their arms and legs are moving. They spend all their physics budget on the breasts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sean Connery made, he that was his... Probably his biggest contribution. He's like, those breasts have to look like they're jiggling when these women move around. That's the only way I'm going to do it. Now, look, I'm an executive producer. You put me on this film, and this is what I want. This is what the people want. I shall want Uncle Billy. Or Uncle they're Billy. Just like, they're just like going over characters with him. Like, oh, and so in this scene, you're talking to this character. It's like, how big are her breasts? <laughs> I don't think that really matters, but like... You can make him as big as he wants. So what you're saying is it's like that scene in Extras where Ricky Gervais is talking to Patrick Stewart when he's like, and uh, and all of the clothes fall off instantly. Uh, and I can see everything. Everything. Yeah. Sir Billy was surprisingly uh, ACAB. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sir Billy does, uh, does come after the cops on multiple occasions and just out, outright That's... threatens them to their face. Yes. That was what I was pointing out earlier when, the, I think the only time I laughed was when he, he first is confronting that, so the inspector guy is in town, he's kind of observing, and Connery, Sir Billy notices, and he just goes up to him and says, hey, I know, you know, you look like you're up to no good, and this is my town, and if you hurt anyone in this town, you have me to answer to. And yeah, the cop like runs off, like just like he just speaks to this police officer like that. And then when the cop leaves, like Sir Billy says, oh, 20 years ago, I just would have taken him out on the spot. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I'm not sure if it was just for sure that he's saying he would have killed him or just beat him up. But I'm going to go with killed him because it's Sean Connery saying it. And that's, yeah, that's how I prefer it, that he probably has killed many cops in this town. That's why there's only one. <laughs> the animals do more than a sufficient job of policing the area <laughs> there's uh, also a part near the end where Sir Billy suddenly becomes an expert skateboarder uh, to the level of Tony Hawk that he's just like racing after I think he's trying to get the beaver uh, away from the cop or something but yeah he's doing sounds like Sean Connery <laughs> he's, he's doing these uh you know, like wicked moves 
and uh, you know, just like rolling all over the Scottish Highlands. Uh, it's just like a we. I don't know if the movie ever references it. I knew it beforehand because it's on the poster, but I don't know if the movie Once. ever re- do, do they reference him being able to skateboard in the flashback. He's teaching the goat how to skateboard. That's, and there's that's, like a sign in the back. But that's really. But late. it says Doc skateboard lessons. But that's weekends. really late in the movie. That's like halfway through. Oh, yeah. Usually, this kind of stuff. Yeah. If you're going to use something in a Chekhov's gun kind of way, like you build it early on of like. Oh, Sir Billy's a championship skateboarder. Well, how's that possible? Well, funny you asked, but <laughs> none of your damn business, that's how. <laughs> so yes, yeah, just another little bizarre thing that gets thrown in for everyone's enjoyment of Sir. Let's Billy. not forget yeah. about the Russians. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember the Russian. There's a random Russian sub that just appears when they're about to save the beaver. Okay. It just kind of comes through oh, the water, yeah. and then one of the female characters says something like. I mean, Ryan, if you remember I, more I specifically, was, I was fairly checked it's how the, it's fairly so checked stupid. out. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, it's I how mean, the that's like gets the beaver. It's like Uncle or Uncle, Uncle Billy, uh, Sir Billy's uh, daughter's like, "Will you hold this beaver while I clean my glasses, Mister Russian soldier?" And then the cop just takes it from the Russian. Oh, the okay. I do, yeah, I do remember when the Russians appear, and then like one of the characters just says, "Oh, that's a so and so type of summary." Effect with the plot, so I guess that's why no. I just sort no. of like, oh, I don't know, because like think... there's other townspeople that if you asked me, like, oh, tell me about this guy, I'd be like, I don't know, it was just some weird looking dude. I think they were just trying to shove in as much as they could into the climax to make it more action packed. So it's like, oh, a Russian sub, that's part of this yeah. too, and it's just like the t- yeah, t- that was my thinking. The text says it's like an emergency maneuver because the reactor is leaking or something. Uh, okay. And a little text at the bottom. So for those listening, if this all sounds like a bunch of garbled gibberish, you're not wrong <laughs> because really, like, it's so unclear of what this movie is attempting to do from the word go. Like the plot is unclear. I mean, even like the worst children's films, usually you're sitting there and it's like, oh, okay, they're trying to get from this place to that place, or they're trying to rescue their friend, or they're trying to do accomplish X. I don't know. I never watched like the Madagascar movies, but like they're trying to get out of the zoo or whatever the hell they're trying to do. Like it's clear what the character is trying to accomplish here. Like you don't really have an idea. Like the beavers just trying to, not be killed or captured and then the cop as eric said is trying to capture the beaver for seemingly no reason sir billy just kind of gets roped into stuff he has no real desire whatsoever other than like other characters show up and they're like we need your help sir billy and he's like okay but then everything just sort of meanders and there's certain elements i mean the the big thing of like the beaver getting in the the water that takes like 20 minutes that takes up a, the bulk of the movie and then gets resolved. And so it kind of feels like the movie's like over and then the cop stuff is still lingering out there. So there's just like so many elements they have in there, but nothing is clear of like, here's the movie we want to make. We want to tell a story where this happens. I don't think anybody had a story they wanted to tell. No, no, it's it's just awful. I want to tell a story then, about breasts. And then they and then they end on another little musical number. Everyone's hanging out on the bar at the end. Job well done, and they sing a song. And and then Sean Connery takes his woman off, and that's it. Yeah, something to show you. That's about it. 
there are uh, there are a couple lines that I want to throw out there. Uh, although we we kind of mentioned early on about how the audio sounds bad, it sounds particularly bad on Sean Connery. And my note was that he sounds like he was recorded through a fast food intercom. But like it's just like there's it's muffled at times and garbled and like yeah. you're not I mean you you always I think get the words to come through. I don't think I ever didn't understand, but it doesn't sound professional. It doesn't sound the way yeah. you you hear a Pixar film or even lesser films and it those sound like movies and they you know you believe you're within the world of this film. At every point it sounds like Sean Connery is being recorded by like a shitty mic in his apartment here in his mansion. I'm sure Sean Connery didn't live in an apartment. Uh, We lowered a microphone (laughs) into his grave. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so a couple choice lines. And if there are any others that stuck out for you, um, uh, there was one that was really funny to me, just his delivery of it. And it was so random. So Connery and his goat dog human hybrid and his grandson are driving in this car and they nearly hit this. Was it a squirrel or rabbit or I think a rabbit rabbit. Okay. So they nearly hit this rabbit and that's what the rabbit tells Sean Connery about the problems in the river. And so that's what gets him to like go do stuff. But before that happens, there's a bunch of just like zany hijinks and the goat is thrown from the car and stuff. And so Sir Billy turns, because the goat is thrown and the goat's like, okay, lands on his head, but it's a cartoon and like all that kind of shit. But so Sean Connery, Sir Billy turns to his grandson, you she young Jake, that's why sheet belts are so important. Just so important. <laughs> like it was the most emotion he put into a line delivery in the film and it was for like the most nothing line that existed and i that's what truly truly loved it go ahead eric Uh, that's why like my working theory is that with how bad the the sound quality was and then moments like that where he, he just the actor just seems detached from the story I feel like they just gave him his lines to read in his house, and that's what he did. And he has no clue what's going on, but he decides when to put emphasis on stuff. And and that's the moment where he's like, well, this sounds important. Seatbelts. I'll just like put everything I got Remember, in the Remember, the Scottish Board of Drivers says... <laughs> I did a number of these commercials in the 70s. I know what I'm talking about. Um, there's another one that I really liked, and this is... Uh... <laughs> And this is kind of just my joke on it, but at the end, you know, the movie's wrapping up and he drives off with his 30-something new fling. And, you know, he's he saved the day. And this line isn't even in reference to anything. It's just the idea that he saved these beavers and rabbits, that he rescued them from the cop, that the Russian sub showed up. I don't know. Like So, like, it's just that he had an adventure, I guess, is all this line is stating, but he just says at the end, all the things I do for Scotland. And my comment was that I think that was just Sean Connery and he didn't know his mic was on. I think he was referring to <laughs> Sir Billy himself, the project itself. And they're like, hey, that's a good line to end this film. I was like, what's that? Oh, yes, of course. That's ad-libbing. Ah. Uh... Yeah. So, any other comments on Sir Billy? Uh, All right. Real quick, we're going to move on to uh, the rest here, but would you recommend Sir Billy? 
heavens no. I'm sure it's a great movie for stillborn children. <laughs> That's a poor um, quote if I ever heard yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think just, it's one of those that's just bad but not fun because it's so bad. It's just, it's just boring and... Yeah, even though it's basically an hour long, it's... At least yeah, it's free. Not, not at all. <laughs> That's true. All right. Uh, well, we're probably all in agreement. I found it to be an utter train wreck. I <laughs> knew about it in the past. Uh, you know, like I said, had come across it. It was Sean Connery's final film. I looked at the trailer. It had looked hideous. I wanted to do it for this at some point, And then I worked it into this questionable final roles. So yeah, there's no real reason, I would say, to seek this out other than just total, just total curiosity of like, I, I need <laughs> to see what this is. Or if you're just a huge Sean Connery fan, but even then, you know, maybe not, <laughs> maybe don't, don't put yourself through that. So uh, if you like Diamonds Are Forever, you might enjoy this. So uh, that takes us on to uh, kind of more of the back half of this. Um, so when I had the idea for, you know, questionable final roles, I felt it would be mean spirited if I'm taking the final <laughs> roles of like these notable actors and just dragging it through the mud and be like, you idiot, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and while I do think that this movie is terrible and I do think it's very sad that this was Sean Connery's final film role. That's obviously not what his career is and is in total. So for the rest of our episode, we are shifting focus to talk about Sean Connery as an icon, as a uh, film star, as a notable actor. And so this is going to be in praise of Sean Connery and his career and what he means to us as an actor. So I will open the floor. What do we have on Sir Sean Connery's film career? For me, um, yeah, I thought this was an interesting one because I've never really considered him in the, like my top favorite actors, even though I think he's like great in a lot mm -hmm. of stuff I've seen. And you know, it might have something to do with the fact that I think when I was growing up and watching movies more, uh, he wasn't as active in the '90s and early yeah. 2000s. And a lot of those movies, I probably to this day haven't even seen. Like, I never seen Entrapment. Um, Finding Forrester. Uh, all I remember from the trailer is uh, "You're the Mountain Now, Dog." Like yes. that's and then the famed you know, internet same... meme. <laughs> yes, early, early internet then, meme, very early. Yeah, I remember that. That was like 2001 or something. Um, and like same thing with Dragonheart. Like just the trailer. I am the last one just sticking out. So it's like he can do a lot with his voice. That just it. It, it stays in there, and that's, like, what I remember. Yeah. You know, to me, he was... Last Crusade was always one of my favorite movies growing up, and to this day still is, and I think he's great in that. Untouchables, I think he's awesome in, and that's the only role that he was ever nominated for an Oscar for, um, and won. Yeah, I'm not sure... I, I don't. I'm not sure if he was nominated for anything else, but it's the only one he ever won, for sure. Yeah, I think I looked it up, and he, he won the Golden Globe and the Oscar for that for supporting actor that year. Yeah. He's had some other like British award nominations, but no, which is surprising. So like he was never even a fixture at like Oscar ceremonies would like, yeah. If I would watch them, like he was just kind of never around. 
Which uh, think that like when he won that, there's a there's a fun. If you ever look up his speech on that, it's pretty fun. Um, when he gets introduced and he wins the award, I think the first thing he says is, uh, "French coworkers." A few enemies, and it's a pretty solid laugh. <laughs> yeah, and um, you, when I was looking over his like whole filmography to see what I've seen, you know, apart from like a few of the early Bond movies, I haven't really seen a lot of younger Sean Connery stuff. He's kind of like Anthony Hopkins in that way. I just like always see him as this this graying man, mm-hmm. older man. And there's uh, one movie that I know that I've I've. I've nominated to be on this podcast, which is Outland. Yeah. Uh, which is one I, I watched later on in life, but I thought was very good and, and was kind of surprised no one ever really like mentions it that often. But that's him and uh, Peter Boyle, basically High Noon in Space, and that's a really like fun and good movie. And he's got some great lines in that movie, too. Yeah, Outland's, uh, Outland's a definitely an interesting one. And yeah, it, it's, it's on my list when you mention that, that we will definitely do it at some point. All right, well, so, Ryan, what do you got opening on this for Sean Connery? I like Sean Connery. <laughs> yep. He was, a, he was a good guy. Except that time when he said it's okay to smack the ladies. This is supposed to be a celebration of his career. <laughs> but uh, I guess you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm the man now, dog. He said so. So we got that going between us. I think it was you're the man now. Yes, uh, but he was talking to me, making me the man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like the Simpsons. He was selected yes. you, referring to me. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> well, he was looking at me. Um, but yeah, um, he's always just kind of bit around, but never like uh, one of my favorite major action stars. Really like The Rock, though. Oh yeah, yeah. Rock's another good one. Yeah, and uh, yeah. For me, I uh, oh, you got more, Ryan? I was gonna say Highlander, the first one. Hmm. Not the quickening. Mm-mm. I've never seen the quickening, mm-hmm. but I I don't really. I've seen the first two. <laughs> they brought really me like back it. and killed me off again. I don't really like Shut either of bitch. them, but the first one's definitely better than the quickening. Yeah, I don't know. Like uh, for me, I would say. I, I was probably I probably got into his stuff pretty early on because I think I was pretty young when I was watching through James Bond stuff from the library. So I saw a lot of his Bond roles early. And then, yeah, Last Crusade would have been, you know, very young for me as well, probably, you know, within a year or two of it coming out. But yeah, his Bond ones that stand out to me, um, you know, he did a number of them, but I there are certain ones that I think are better than others, but Dr. Knows the first one Goldfinger is like one of the best bonds from Russia with love is also one of the best bonds. And you only live twice is super fun. It gets super big. And that's the one that the Dr. Evil character shows up in Ernst, uh, Starvo Blofeld. Uh, I think might be wrong on that middle name, but, um, but that's where Donald Pleasant shows up as Blofeld. He had been, alluded to in some of the other ones you'd seen like briefly in shots but yeah so those are the ones the bond films i think are really solid and then i also put out last crusade untouchables and the rock is fantastic he has the smaller part in time bandits it's fun 
And then I have a couple other I'll, I'll bring up here in a minute. But yeah, I think just like at his core, he was always very cool, very, um, just very interesting to watch on screen. He had just a fantastic stage presence. So Eric, you said a minute ago of like how he could do so much with his voice. And, you know, obviously mm-hmm. a Scottish accent is a big draw because you don't get that a lot in movies. You know, He's Scottish? <laughs> in American or even in British movies, you know, that's an accent that we don't see tons of. And even people who are Scottish, a lot of times they'll end up acting in films and they'll end up adopting a British accent or an American accent for something. But Connery, like, I don't know that he ever spoke with anything but a Scottish accent. Like even when he was in the hunt for red October and is supposed to be playing a Russian <laughs> submarine Russian. commander, I'm pretty sure he was still doing that Scottish accent. Um, but yeah, it's like, so, so it's notable in that regard in the same way that Schwarzenegger is just the second you hear it, you know exactly who is talking, but also mm-hmm. like he could put a lot. I mean, it was a great, like deep booming voice. He could put a lot of emotion into it. Like he, yeah, I mean, he's not, he's not an actor, you know, he wasn't winning tons of Oscars. He's not an actor in the same class that some people would think of like Lawrence Olivier and stuff like that. But like in the range of what he could do. Yeah. I mean, Sean Connery was like, was pretty great and did have some legit acting chops. And I think like, I think it genuinely developed as his career went along too. I think he, you know, when he was doing James Bond stuff, he just kind of had to like look cool and shoot a gun and make some quips. And then I think as he got into some later roles, I think he was pushing himself to do more. Like the Zardoz costume? Yeah. <laughs> and my guess with the accent is that uh, a few directors early on tried to get him to do a different accent. <laughs> he was probably just like, no. Eventually, just they just stopped trying and just assumed <laughs> this is the action. You know, if you're gonna get him for this movie, he's just not even gonna do anything but his own voice, and that's fine. Well, it's kind of like Schwarzenegger. Has Schwarzenegger ever done anything that wasn't the Schwarzenegger accent? Just no, when he was I don't. I don't dubbed so. over in that Hercules movie. Yeah, and Hercules in New York. And then there was like kind of a joke bit in I think Terminator Three where yeah. they, dubbed, they dubbed him with like a sub, like it was him. But they put a southern voice because it was like, yeah, because he was like not the T one thousand or T eight hundred. He was like the guy they based it on. But uh, yeah, I think Schwarzenegger. Yeah, he's he's never been able to tackle another accent. And it's weird because like you think about all the things he's accomplished in his life by through determination of like being a bodybuilder yeah. and becoming a governor and an action star in a foreign country, and he's just like, but he just could never. <laughs> Get a different accent, like no other accents, like not even, I don't know, even one that's even like similar to his European it, accent. Like, like, yeah. What do you want from me? Because like, you know, like, because there's some people like people we know who can slip in and out of accents, like, you know, to have fun with it or whatever. And then obviously mm-hmm. there's tons of actors who can, I mean, like Tom Holland and people where if you didn't know he was British, you would just think he was just some American kid. And you know, yeah. there's other actors like that. Like I, uh, what's the what's the girl from Doctor Who and stuff? Is that Karen Gillett? Karen Gillan? Karen Gillan. Yeah. yeah so yeah, she I is. didn't know she was Scottish. Uh, oh I, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you'd asked me, I would have said if like somebody put that question to me of where she's from, I would have been like, oh wait, is she British? But I don't know if I've ever seen because I never watched Doctor Who. 
I mean, it makes sense that she'd be, you know, from over there if she's in it, but I, she did some kind of like Twitter thing the other day and she was doing like this really thick Scottish accent. I think she was like putting on kind of as a joke, um, like overdoing Mm -hmm. it. And I was like, wait, is she Scottish? And then I looked it up and I saw, and she has like a much lighter Scottish accent that she speaks with. So I think she was just like, you know, leaning into it for comedic effect or something. But my point is, so there are definitely actors that can make that kind of stuff work, but yeah, maybe for some people it's just really hard to Mm -hmm. get it. And maybe they just know their limitations of I'm never going to get it and make it sound good. Right. Uh, although the, the yeah, Sean Connery Russian that. one, it, it seems like going from Scottish to Russian, like there's some similarities there in the sound. You you could have made that work. Yeah. And, but maybe it's a Scottish thing. Like he just doesn't want to betray his homeland by <laughs> speaking a different accent. He's just that, which I guess, I guess that's the kind of maniacal thinking you'd have to do a movie like Sir Billy is that, oh, it's Scottish. I have to do it. I have no other choice. Well, I did, uh, after he died, uh, I did hear a story that, uh, who's the guy from Firefly and has been a bunch of stuff? Alan Tudyk. Alan Tudyk, yeah. Yeah, so I guess Alan Tudyk was in one of the productions of Spamalot, <laughs> and he was playing, it might have been like David Hyde Pierce's character or something, like Sir, uh, I, think it's, I think he played like Sir Galahad or something. I, I've seen the show, mm-hmm. but it's been ages. Anyway, he's playing one of the knights and they would do bits of improv. You know, there's a script to it, but then there's like kind of like little windows of improv that they're allowed to do, that they're encouraged to do, you know, to kind of make the show fun and to be like Python-y. And I guess in one of them, I think it was like during the Knights Who Say Knee thing, he, you know, said, and all that kind of stuff. And like, he would like go off and do just like junk. It'd be kind of like, just mm-hmm. like riffing. And I guess somewhere in the midst of that, he did a Sean Connery impression. Hmm. And I also guess Sean Connery was in the audience that night. <laughs> and I don't know if he knew Sean Connery Ooh. was in the audience that night or not. Ooh. But so Sean Connery, like comes up to him afterwards uh, after the show and is like poking him in the chest really hard and being like, I don't appreciate that. <laughs> Which when I heard that story, I was like, I was kind of blown away. Cause it's like, has it Sean Connery heard people imitate his voice for like 50 years? Right. Which brings me to another, like a uh, kind of Sean Connery thing, which is his uh, Daryl Hammond's impression on celebrity jeopardy, oh, yeah, of course. Uh, which, you know, kind of, is along the lines of his being iconic where like he was the only one that was in every episode of that sketch and it was I always think, the same i think he's not in he's maybe not in a couple but yeah for okay. most of them because i i but know was... daryl hammond played like john travolta in one oh okay yeah, yeah. but yeah <laughs> almost all of them almost all of them and it's always the same shtick with him he's just making fun of uh trebek and, and just like and it's and it's it's interesting like why because you could have done that with like any actor really like it was just they decided that they would just keep using sean connery and this was the one like but it makes sense for who he is because i guess he is just like a ballsy guy who like i would love to know what he thought of that right like the the funhouse (laughs) version of him is just completely combative with the host the whole time (laughs) it's just like doesn't care um and you know because yeah you hear stories about sean connery and in real life like 
being very confrontational and just like like with the story you were just saying where it's, yeah like that's yeah, maybe a lot of people were just afraid of him in Hollywood. <laughs> I heard he come up on the street and put his hands over your eyes, and then when you turn around, he'd be like, no one will ever believe you. It's true. Wait, didn't they say that about Bill Murray? Oh, it was a story about Bill Murray. No, 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 I'm pretty sure it was Sean Connery. Oh. I've heard the same exact story, like, no more than a month ago about Bill Murray. It was, it was Bill Murray. I'm just fucking with okay. you. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think Richard Dreyfuss would say, said that about Bill Murray or something like that. I don't know. Richard Dreyfus does it too. So like, no one will ever believe you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Eric mentioned Outland as one of the more kind of offbeat Sean Connery movies. It's uh, it's kind of like a space western, not in a Star Wars kind of way, but more of like an actual plays like a western, but just set in space. Um, Zardoz is another very crazy one. I don't want to give anything away on Zardoz because we actually, we absolutely will be doing Zardoz on this show at some point in the future. But Zardoz is a weird, wild Sean Connery delight. (laughs) It is bizarre as a movie, but particularly bizarre as a movie featuring him. That's another one where it's a real head scratcher to figure out why he's in it. He's not bad in it exactly, but... I don't know how they got him to agree to it, but it's interesting. Um, But Eric, you mentioned The Rock, and I'll probably end up doing The Rock at some point, but uh, for a couple reasons. But yeah, like The Rock, I think, is probably like his last truly great movie. I know that might sound odd when we're talking about a Michael Bay movie, but I do think it's like (laughs) Michael Bay's only good movie. And I think it's like the last kind of great, sean connery film because it's like just a yeah. fantastic action film yeah yeah no it's a cool I, story at, yeah looking at his filmography there's nothing after that that i would i mean i haven't i haven't seen entrapment or playing by heart but i doubt those are entrapment, as good as i the remember rock. yeah Trapman's not as good as the rock it's not terrible it it was totally sold on the benefits of Catherine Zeta Jones's ass. <laughs> yes, with the that, lasers. That was yeah. that was the trailer. That was what they showed in every yeah. trailer. Usually, was her, her like sliding under those laser beams. Usually, uh, uh, the thing you remember about a Sean Connery trailer is just some line they pull, like "No one escapes the rock." Like that's what I remember from that trailer. But like Entrapment, her ass beat him out for you know. She's like Jad Ash. He's got one of the best lines in in The Rock, (laughs) the prom queen line. Yes. Yes. Uh, Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. (laughs) I'm the prom queen. (laughs) Um, I never saw Fighting Forrester. So that one, I doubt is like as good as The Rock, but. Did you say finding or fighting Forrester? Finding. No. Um. I mean, it had kind of an interesting angle where he plays sort of a J.D. Salinger reclusive author. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, like, that's different for Sean Connery, but he makes sense for that role of, like, he's this older man and he's very commanding, has a commanding presence. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's, like, a decent film, but I never watched it. I know it mostly from You're the Man Now, dog. <laughs> um, the... Uh, the other one I would throw out there that isn't super well known and we'll definitely end up doing it on the show is there's one called The Man Who Would Be King, which is based on the novella, the famous novella, but it's a John Huston movie and it stars Sean Connery and Michael Caine and they play off of each other incredibly well. 
both being amazing actors in their own right. And then you put them together in something and they end up, I can't remember what country or fictional country they're in, but they end up traveling to another country and kind of swindling the locals into believing that they're gods. And then stuff sort of plays out from there. But uh, yeah, it's, it's very impressive in a lot of regards. It's not a super famous movie, but it's one of my like favorite of the like lesser known Connery roles. So uh, yeah. What are some of your other favorites? I know we talked a little bit about that for each of you, but any others you want to hype or double down on anything you had to say? Last Crusade, I'll also say Eric mentioned early, but uh, earlier, but uh, yeah, I think he's fantastic as Indy's dad. I don't think you could have cast someone better. You could have cast hmm. people who were good, but I don't think you would have cast anyone who would have done that better. Yeah. I like in that one in particular that he's like not actiony in it and that he's plays it as this straight laced professor. And then when like, when the, when stuff goes down, he ends up like punching some dudes cause he has to, but I like that. <laughs> right. I like that. He's like awkward and that Indy's doing stuff. And like when Indy guns down the Nazis, like, look what you did. I can't believe what you just did. Like <laughs> that. He's just this like stuffy professor. And then the way they dressed him, like with the, uh, that goofy little hat and the umbrella they put up, they give him where he just like, he does not look tough at all, but he's <laughs> Sean Connery. So he just exudes it. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's this weird combination. And then I'll also love just another like goofy note, like the scene on the beach with the, the like seagulls when he gets, he gets the seagulls to basically attack the pilot that's coming for them because Indy doesn't have any bullets. He doesn't know. Indy clearly is like, we're fucked and he doesn't know what he's going to do. And then Henry sees an angle and like he gets this like look in his eyes and he like just as being a smart guy he figures this out (laughs) but what he figures out is just such a stupid thing and he just starts flapping his umbrella and And he gets sean connery just running down this beach scaring seagulls so that they'll fly into this plane and again it's like it's such a great the character they gave him is so fun because they easily could have just made him oh he's this old adventurer He's just like Indy. He's exactly the same. And he was in, you know, caverns and stuff too. And I love mm. that they made the character different and they made him a counterpoint to Indy, but he still has these very cool moments. So I always loved that about uh, Sean Connery in Last Crusade. Eric, you had some stuff. Um, yeah, well, I'll, uh, to add to Last Crusade, I think there's the, the scene where they're tied in the chairs and the fire's going and they both realize that they had sex with the same woman. Yeah. Um, which is like, yeah, that's Sean Connery right there. That guy would have probably just <laughs> boned that woman. Give me five, Junior. <laughs> well, that reminds probably me. Was... That reminds me of a story that Harrison Ford said. Um, like when the movie was coming out, it was commented in some interview. Like some interviewer was talking to him uh, about how Sean Connery was playing his father, and that Sean Connery was only twelve years older than Harrison Ford. And Harrison Ford's quip was, well, you know, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. They fucked. Um, (laughs) Try to picture a 12-year-old Sean Connery. Jesus. (laughs) I am the last one. (laughs) He had a full beard. 
<laughs> I was born a man. Um, yeah, apart from, like, yeah, apart from that, like, Untouchables, I th- think my, af- after Last Crusade might be my favorite thing that he did, just mm-hmm. because, I mean, if only for the reason that I remember just being really, really mad when they killed his character off. Like, it was just like, it's like, you know, it was like a Game of Thrones moment where it's like, ah, ah why'd you, ah. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> All right, how about this? You brought up the Celebrity Jeopardy bit, uh, which I had actually completely forgotten about, which I feel very bad that I uh, omitted that in my notes. But any other impacts he has had on media? Because I have a couple things that I think are worth noting, tangential Sean Connery things. No, nothing comes to mind. No. Okay. Ones I got is that he is the inspiration for the Venture Brothers character, Colonel Gentleman. Which, uh, if you've ever watched the Venture Brothers, there is an old Scottish man who's clearly designed to look exactly like Sean Connery and acts like Sean Connery and speaks like Sean Connery and is like this ruffian and he's a retired adventurer. Um, And he's one of the, probably one of the funnier characters on Venture Brothers. Anytime he shows up, he's got some uh, pretty solid lines. So we got that because of- Goddamn man of moms, my tits are back. (laughs) So we got that. Uh, speaking of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he was the like basis for the Alan Quartermain character in the books. So Alan Quartermain obviously is an adventurer from fiction. It's kind of one of the inspirations for characters like Indiana Jones. It was King Solomon's Mines, I think, was the original book, and it was like 1800s, and uh, you know went on to some other adventures and stuff. But when Alan Moore and uh, Kevin O'Neill were working on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, they decided to base the look of Alan Quartermain on Sean Connery because of his, like, importance to British literature. And they thought it would just, you know, British pop culture. They thought it would make sense. Not So not a young Sean Connery, not a James Bond Sean Connery, but a, you know, an older gray beard, gray haired Sean Connery. And so when they then cast him for League, it just made all the sense in the world because it was, you know, inspired by him. Um, So that's a little note. And then the other bit that I'll uh, put out there, when Sean Connery died, I put this on our Twitter profile, actually. So if you haven't been on there, check out Cinema, at Cinema Uncanny. And you can also follow us on Facebook. But on there, I put out something that's like a lesser known little Sean Connery gem and I would highly encourage you to look it up. Sean Connery recorded a version of the Beatles in my life. Um, it's a spoken <laughs> word version. It's beautiful. It uh, has a backing track of music, like kind of a, like a classical rendition of the song. But Sean Connery is just reading the lyrics. And what it comes from is George Martin, the famous Beatles producer sometime in the 90s, decided to do like a cover album of different Beatles songs. And he got different famous people to work on different ones. Like I know Jeff Beck was involved. Uh, let me look. I have it here. Some of the ones I kept. Yeah. So it looks like Jeff Beck did a thing, a day in the life. Um, Bobby McFerrin did come together and Robin Williams, I guess was on come together with him. And then because was by Vanessa May and these are just one I kept. So there's there's other ones from that album. But yeah, Sean Connery did a spoken word version of In My Life. 
and it's incredibly beautiful and it's you know very uh you know not famous at all because it's just from this weird specific album that you'd have to know about from the 90s and i only found out about it a few years ago because a friend posted it on facebook kind of randomly so that's out there i'll probably get that to these boys once this all wraps up but uh if you're a beatles fan if you're a sean connery fan please look that up it's very moving and especially in light of his death it's uh, something nice to listen to that you wouldn't have come across for sean connery all right any final thoughts here before we wrap up i guess uh it's interesting that he yeah he was he was offered lord of the rings and gandalf I believe, you know, people say that it's kind of, it was, it was a missed opportunity that they didn't get him for that role, even though my favorite actor, Ian McKellen was Gandalf and he was amazing. Yeah. So it's hard to say that like, it, I don't necessarily think Sean Connery would have been better, but he would have been he would, different, but been equally good. With, yeah. He, under, but it would have been a different kind of role. Yeah. Under the direction of Peter Jackson too. Like, you know yeah. I mean? Like Connery, McKellen, might play moments with a little more weight than Connery would have. But still, if you can imagine Connery, like just kind of nailing some of it, and then he's being directed by Peter Jackson and it's in this gorgeous, amazing world Mm -hmm. and everything else is working so well. Like, yeah, it could have been such a fantastic career capper for him. It's unfortunate. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, you were saying, um, I I think, yeah, he would have had, he probably would have had a little more humor in the role, I think, than McKellen. Mm Um, so much to the point. <laughs> I could just picture him just like, like making fun of Frodo a lot with those little jabs. Like I just picture that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's there, there's that. So I guess we kind of missed out on that, even though we got Ian McKellen for that role. So that's not all bad. Another thing is that he was never really active in TV. Yeah, you know, even at the height of his career, and it's a shame that even though he was mostly retired he never really got to do any like the kind of streaming stuff that we see all the time that a lot of more big actors are going for. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a shame that he, he, well, I think there, there was more of a line in the sand for years and years of like, you know, there were people you, you might get your foot in the door in TV in a sitcom or in uh, a drama or something. And then you graduate to film. And I think a lot of actors saw it as, I don't want to go back to TV because that's a step backward. And a lot of TV stuff was junk. I mean, there was great stuff, you know, here and there for decades, but it didn't have as much money. It didn't have the prestige. They weren't putting as much care into a lot of it anymore. They're putting as much or more care into it as they are for film. They're doing all these series and mini series where they're taking it as serious as they would an Oscar film. But yeah, back Mm -hmm. in the day, it was rare like you had stuff like Roots and things that was trying to be a big deal, but most stuff wasn't. So yeah, I think there was kind of more of a line in the sand of like, once you graduated past it, you didn't go do TV. And then he went straight to film. So there wouldn't have been any benefit for him to have done TV. Although since we brought up Saturday Night Live, it would have been interesting to have seen some Sean Connery Saturday Night Live <laughs> episodes, but we unfortunately never got oh. that. Because there's some actors like that that just, I don't know if they just feel they can't do comedy or can't, uh, or, or couldn't do it in those circumstances. But yeah, he never did a Senate Live episode. Jack Nicholson has never done an SNL. Like he he did a 
Nicholson yeah. did like one or two short appearances, like in kind of like playful, like he popped up. I remember when Helen Hunt hosted, he showed up, but I don't even think he spoke. He just kind of showed up and like walked her off stage in this kind of like jokey way. But yeah, so it's like yeah. some of those actors, I think they just like, they want to keep their star status. And it's like, you right. know, I don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame because, yeah, because it seems like the best hosts usually just kind of just let the comedians do their work. And as long as you just trust, because like Christopher Walken seems like he just lets him write whatever the hell for him and he'll do it. And that's why he's such a great host, because he just does whatever they come up with and like doesn't really seem to care. And fully commits. It works out great. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, um, yeah, but I get what you're saying. But yeah, it's just a shame that. He could have maybe come out of retirement for something on Netflix. Yeah. Because um, now it's, it's yeah, like television isn't the step back it once was, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think when he died, I think he was about 90. So it was probably unlikely that he was yeah. going to like, because this, the Sir Billy was 2012, but it had a lengthy production. So he was probably recording lines and stuff. I mean, it goes back to at least 2006. So he probably was effectively retired for a good while. But yeah, so I I don't know if anyone could have like brought him back if he would have wanted to do anything. But yeah, I mean, kind of talking about the top, like it it is unfortunate that Sir Billy ended up being his final role. Like (laughs) you're saying, Lord of the Rings wouldn't have necessarily been his final role because like, but I mean, he if he had taken that, maybe he didn't take League. Maybe he would have ended on the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Maybe it's that you know, like that would have been pretty fantastic. They still would ended on Sir Billy. Yes. All right, so that is our wrap-up for Sir Billy and Sean Connery. Uh, last couple bits of business here is, can I find this? That means Sir Billy, not Sean Connery. And um, <laughs> Sir Billy... What's that, Ryan? Nothing. <laughs> what did you say? I said you'll need a shovel. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully one day we'll need a shovel to dig up this movie. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so can I find this for Sir Billy? It is on Amazon Prime, and it is free on Vudu, Tubi, and YouTube. They are just giving this movie away. I think we all watch it on YouTube because yep. it's hard to track down uh, like files of this movie, but it is for free on YouTube, which is not totally... I mean, and when I say for free, I don't mean like, oh, somebody uploaded it and it's on there as a bootleg. Like... It's like the legit version that's official and YouTube is just saying, you want to watch Sir Billy? It's free. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the the real deal. Um, So I think they have a handful of those things on there. So they must have some kind of deal for like low level stuff. So it's on there. If you want to watch Sir Billy. Watch it two times speed. (laughs) Yes. You won't miss anything. It is on. Uh, it is it. on DVD, but doesn't look like they've yet, they've yet to put Sir Billy on Blu-ray or 4K. So ah. keep writing those letters to your congressman, um, dear Scotland. Get Sir Billy. If there if there was a a, a DVD commentary with Sean Connery, I would I would be into that. And see, this is a part where I was just completely wasted. Oh. Now wait a minute. Why what the why, fuck are is this? why are these beavers wearing clothes? You didn't tell me that was going to happen. <laughs> All right, so uh, so yeah, so that's the can I find this, and then for our final wrap up for what we will be looking at next time, we will have another Bizarro film that we will be digging in on our next show, and that is going to be Sir Billy too, <laughs> if only, starring Michael Caine. 
<laughs> um, all right, so our uh, our next Bizarro film is going to be Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy <laughs> yeah. Roddy Piper, a sort of bizarre post-apocalyptic film with mutant frog people. So <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, so join us as we uh, dig into Hell Comes to Frogtown next week. See you then.